Welcome back to the Librarian Linkover podcast. I am your host, Laureen Kennard. I am so excited to interview guests who highlight the wide array of skills that librarians use. My guests are changing the way people view librarians, and they are providing new ways for us to frame our skills. My guest today is doing just that. Lisa Grimm is Vice President and DAM Evangelist at Digisuite, which helps global B2B companies deliver consistent, relevant, and personalized digital experiences across all channels. Lisa has held positions in digital asset management and taxonomy. She is currently a board member of the National Library of Ireland, and she has her own podcast called Beer Ladies Podcast, which we will hear about later. Lisa, welcome to the Librarian Linkover. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Tell us about your current role and what kind of projects you take on. Sure. So I'm really, really excited to be in my current role. I'm still relatively new to it, and I'll, I'll circle back to that in a minute. But what I do get to do in my role is I'm working for a DAM vendor. So for those new to the, the field of digital asset management or DAM, a lot of people think of us as a sort of um, sort of file library for images. That's what it was about sort of 15 years ago, but now there's a lot more you can do in terms of setting up workflows, in terms of getting uh, your assets, which are not just images, but could be video, could be little snippets, all, all kinds of different things. Um, 3D models, 3D spinning things. There's some really, really cool stuff out there. Basically, if it's digital and you can tag it, and we'll get back to that in a minute, you can serve it out to whatever channel you want. So in my role, I get to go out and talk about best practices within, within the industry and not just DigiSuite itself, but to really kind of help people understand what they can do with the dam and know that it can be kind of their, their single source of truth for content, but that you can get it out into all these different channels and it's not just kind of a lockbox, if you like. Again, people used to treat it as an archive, which I'm air quoting mm -hmm. because as a former archivist, this is not an archive, we, we all know that, but it's, it's, I think what, what I love about DAM as a field is it really does rely on librarianship and there's a real respect for librarians in this field. And so I, I think it's, it's exciting to talk about it because I'm always trying to get new people into the field because it's really hard to find people who have the skill set. Um, but it's also hard to get in the, you know, get that foot in the door. But I love that I get to go out and talk to people about the opportunities both within the industry as well as kind of what it can do for other industries. Uh, the great thing about DAM is it used to be something that lived in marketing or lived in libraries and museums, but now it's really everywhere as every company is realizing, especially for a lot of people working from home, that you need to be able to get to your stuff and it needs to be findable mm -hmm. and it needs to be centralized and accessible, but you also need to have access controls, things like that. So I love that I get to really go out and literally uh, spread the good word as, as the evangelist, but I also get to feed back into the product side of things to say, oh, have you thought about doing X or Y or kind of looking at what we get customer requests for. So it's it's really sort of multi, multi, uh, multifaceted, if you like, but it's, um, again, I think at the end of the day, it's really important to understand how taxonomy works, you know, sort of how, how things fit together and to be able to put yourself in the customer's shoes knowing they may not understand that, but you need to help them get there and help them understand also that they need to hire people in these roles to be really successful uh, if they sort of go down this uh, this road. Thanks for that update, because I think a lot of people think of it as like, you know, managing thumbnails. Like right. Them in yeah, it used and... to be. Yeah, even, even when I was doing it, um, and again, this might be a, a good thing to circle back to later, when I was doing it in library and museum land, it was really just you know, this sort of surrogate for the, the real image, uh, which again, mm -hmm. very important from a preservation perspective and access perspective. But 
Uh, now you can do so much more. You can get different renditions of things without having to create them uh, manually. You can get your software to do all of this and you can do really much more interesting things with it. So I think it really opens up a lot of avenues for uh, you know sort of digital humanities, things like that too. So there's that very academic bent, but there's, there's a lot more that uh, you can do these days. It's not just, again, that kind of you know, box in the corner that you know, everyone's like, oh yeah, we've got those, those photos. There, there's a lot more now. I'm so glad you used air quotes because I also enjoy using <laughs> air quotes on my podcast. Very important. What, what traditional, in air quotes, library skills do you use in your work? So it's, it's a funny thing because I had a slightly circuitous route into this profession, which is not unusual. Everyone comes at it from a strange uh, a strange direction. So I actually was working, uh, or I was in graduate school for archaeology back in the mists of time, fell into doing tech. Um, I know it's, it's the weirdest thing. So you used to hand code uh, what we can now call artisanal HTML and uh, all of that stuff. But after uh, a while in tech, I went back to library school. Um, and I know we'll talk a little bit more about how that's been uh, useful or sometimes not depending on what it was. But I really come back to again and again the, the classwork, the, the classes or the coursework that I had on things like knowledge representation, sort of um, just semantic knowledge, things like that have been hugely important in my career, even if I've gotten more out of doing that day to day kind of work. And we can talk a little bit about what different roles can, can look like, but it's so important to have that foundation and to understand how these things fit together. And, and really where they um, sort of where people are going to employ them and, and how these things can link together. And I think that's been one of the other things that has started to move damn forward is being able to tag things beyond keywords, but really have these semantic relationships between assets. And it's so important in this field to be able to uh, kind of look at this, you know, big knowledge graph and figure out how it fits together. So even though back when I was in library school, it wasn't quite that sophisticated in terms of what they taught us just the, the sort of methodology and um, the ways of thinking about that, I, I think have been absolutely fundamental. How do your library skills and experiences add value to your organization? You've talked about it a little bit, but if you could talk about a it a little, little bit, more. and I, I think it's what's especially, uh, I would say sort of unique in my current role is um, I'm one of the few people who, who's been on the other side of the fence, if you like, I've been a customer, um, not actually of, of our specific product, but of a lot of other ones. So I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. But having that skill set and being able to say, oh, this is how people are going to interact with this, or this is where people are going to get lost searching, or um, also then being able to take a step back and say, this is a bad user experience too. Like those are all really, really important. And I think, um, you know, more and more, I think a lot of library school or, or sort of the library skill set is also about that user experience and not just about, you know, oh, I, I can catalog things. That's hugely important and, and I rely on that day to day. But uh, it, it is a funny thing that there are a lot of companies that, that make uh, this kind of software, but not a lot of them have people who have kind of been in the trenches working uh, on it. So it's nice to be able to bring that, that hands-on experience, which is absolutely 100% stuff I learned working in archives, working in, in physical libraries, and, and just kind of putting it through this different lens. So it's, it's really, really helpful to, again, kind of wear that customer hat, but also just to, to feed that back and think, well, how can we make these things easier to use or smarter? So it's, uh, it's always that, but it's, I, I think the other thing too that I think is really important is to get people out of, I guess, out of this mindset that taxonomy or metadata, and they will use the terms interchangeably. And I, I try not to be judgy about that. Uh, but that <laughs> it's not just keywords. There's so much more here that you want to be able to capture and describe. So 
always those sort of fundamentals of description I, I, are just um, absolutely, you know, something I rely on day to day. And uh, I, I think we're probably going to talk about it more in a minute, but in a bit, but would love to see that, you know, a, a much greater focus in library school programs on that sort of evolution. So when you manage people, what kind of manager are you? I, I, it's, it's a really interesting question. I was thinking about this and I, I was like, oh, I, I should ask some of my former employees because I'm always told, oh, no, we really liked having you for a manager. You don't micromanage. I was like, that's true. But do I also kind of just say, go fly free, do, you do you. Because <laughs> uh, I, I, I think I, I know I can be sort of self-critical. I think I, I sometimes give people a little too much room to kind of figure it out and, uh, you know, figure it out on their own and, you know, break things. Cause I, I am very much, you know, learn by doing, you know, mistakes are good. Don't, you know, don't feel bad about that, but not everyone is comfortable with that. So I, I think uh, I, I can be a little bit sort of laissez faire, but I like to be really clear about kind of what the expectations are, but then let people figure it out for themselves within that. I don't try to be too prescriptive in the, you must do it this way. Obviously there are deadlines and things like that, that we all have to, to work to, but I really try to give people the space to to figure it out because I think um, you know certainly some of the, the managers that I've really looked up to have been the people who have said, oh, I want to leave you all this flexibility to be able to go your direction in this. This is what we want to do, but you know you figure out the how. And I think for me to be able to develop that kind of strategic skill set was again hugely important because I, I wouldn't say I got that in library school. It was much more kind of almost transactional, if you like. So to have that sort of um, higher level of, I don't want to say higher level of thinking because it makes it sound very highfalutin, but it's just a different, uh, a different viewpoint. And I don't know that I would have got that without people sort of giving me the, the freedom and space to do it. But I, I also do think as a manager, my role is to go in and make sure that people aren't being bothered by things that shouldn't bother them. So I, I like to also be the, uh, almost the kind of mama bear if uh, there are things that shouldn't be coming to the fore that are, but you know, I'm not always successful in that. Um, so it really depends. And in my in my last role, uh, where I was global director for DAM at, at Novartis, it was a really tough uh, place to work and, and to be a manager just because there's a lot of politics and things like that. And I'm not a big fan of navigating politics. I'd rather navigate the, the problems to solve, but when it sort of comes to the personalities, uh, sometimes you just have to roll up your sleeves and do it. But uh, that, that was always my goal there was to be a buffer for my team. I agree. I love ideas. If people want have ideas, go do your ideas. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially if it doesn't cost any money, you think it's going to be <laughs> the patron of the customer? Yeah. Go ahead and let me know how it goes. <laughs> if you yeah. need anything from me. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so sort of along those lines, when you hire people, what do you look for in an employee? I'm really big on curiosity. I am less focused on whether you did the specific thing before. It, it, it's great if you have a foundation or you have skills that are transferable, but I, I am absolutely not fussy about, you know, you must have had this experience, this very specific thing, because it's, it's, again, it's all a learning experience. You want people who can hit the ground running, sure, but you also want people who can grow from that. I, I, I think it's really less about... Um, you know, do you have, are you 100% fit for this? Or are you sort of 85% there and you're really interested in this? And I think especially in a weird niche field, like, I mean, you don't often find people who have that 100% background just because there frankly aren't that many of them, which is, you know, one reason I got moved from the US West Coast to Dublin because there, there just aren't that many of us. But, you know, again, more people need to know that. Uh, but, but again, I think it's, it's really the kind of thing where I would like to, as much as I can, open doors for people or help people make a kind of career pivot. I've been able to do that a couple of times, and I feel like that's a thing I can 
uh, sort of be proud of as saying, oh, I was able to get this person in and get them into a new, you know, an entirely new career. Doesn't always work out because again, politics and, and all of that kind of thing. But I, I think it's, I, I, I'm much more excited about seeing someone pivot into something new than someone who's kind of been there, done that, and is, is just kind of uh, going through the motions. Well, plus, if you hire people who may have not done everything, you're getting people with different perspective with different backgrounds. Absolutely. And that only, that only makes it better. Absolutely. Yeah. That, especially if you've got someone coming into this with fresh eyes, they can really come in and say, well, why do we do this? And you want that questioning. You don't want to just, again, get, get sort of used to doing the same old, same old and get into that. We've always done it mentality. Um, it's another reason I really like working with, uh, well, let's see, what's a good way to put this? People who are much younger than me, just because it's great to get <laughs> that perspective and to have people come at it with a different you know, a different lens. And again, equally, you know, could be people who are, who are older than me, although if they're lucky, they're retired if they're much older than me. But uh, again, <laughs> you want that diversity of experience and thought because you don't want to, you know, especially when you're doing something that's going to be eventually be customer facing, you want things that, you know, people can really pick holes in and, and try to make better instead of just, you know, sort of status quo. How do you approach a budget? <laughs> this was one I had to do a little bit of a thing, a little bit of thinking about because I always <laughs> feel I'm terrible at it. Um, and, and it's been interesting to kind of be uh, on the, the flip side of this, if you like. So uh, for for the National Library of Ireland to sort of come in and be the person sort of critiquing that. Uh, but I feel like, you know, having been in, in sort of their shoes, I'm always like, how can we get the more money? But I know that's not meant to be my role, but equally I'm trying to sort of <laughs> say that. But this shouldn't be such a small amount for this very important work. How can we change that? But again, then you start to see, well, we don't get to change that. So how do we work with what we have? And, and I think I, I've, I've been lucky in that I've worked some places that have in, you know, extremely large budgets where money doesn't matter, although that can also be frustrating because you see money get spent on things that are absolutely meaningless and you, you just start doing the calculations in your head on we could have done X or Y, and instead we're doing this very frivolous thing. Um, so looking at you, Pharma, uh, there's a lot of that, uh, and it can be extremely frustrating. But uh, equally, I've worked you know, in, in, in academia and so on where it's like, this is the budget. Please make it smaller. And so I, I try to um, sort of approach the budget based on kind of what the vibe, if you like, of, of where I'm working is, because some places you have to spend it all or you don't get more the next year and others it is you need to save everything you have and so I do try to really sit down with people who've been wherever it is longer than me to say what are we trying to do here is it a case of we have to spend it or it's gone or is it really we want to be frugal and it's, it's still always a little bit of a of a shock to me when it's like spend all the money but uh, and I'm not in that situation now uh, but it is something where it's not in my nature to go out and spend all of it, but I just try to be thoughtful about it. But I still think it's something I struggle with because it's not something I learned, um, certainly not in archaeology graduate school and definitely not in uh, library school either. It was sort of alluded to, uh, I would say, especially in a course I took on academic libraries where it was sort of, you'll have to know how to do this someday. But that was really, you know, like a week or two of discussion. It wasn't really you know, how you put this budget together, here's how you're balancing it, here's how you're sort of doing reviews. Um, that's all stuff I've had to learn on the job. And I, I still think I'm not great at it. I always have to have kind of a mentor. So it's a tough one because I don't think you get that. Uh, and now maybe there, there are programs that do that, but I know my own program did not give any real um, any real focus on that. It taught you, a, you know, a bit here and there about how to write a grant proposal, that kind of thing, which is very important, but not uh, not that sort of, you know, week in, week out 
here's how you're managing a budget. Here's how what this looks like from an annual perspective. Here's how you're reconciling it and uh, all that good stuff. I'm so glad you gave that answer because I think we always think of like the budget is about the numbers, but it really is also about the culture and the vibe around, Yeah, you know, not really politics necessarily, but just like, yes, this is the budget, but don't spend exactly. it all. Or this is the exactly. budget, but it's okay if you go over. It really depends on more than just the actual numbers. So glad yeah. you said that. Yeah, exactly. And I think too, in some cases, people don't want to be bothered by it. If you like, some people say, why are you even asking? Go, it's, it's your budget, go spend it. But I, I would, I always feel much more comfortable knowing exactly that. What is the, the real culture here? Because it's not always mm -hmm. obvious uh, mm -hmm. when you start somewhere. Well, so what suggestions do you have for librarians who want to move into a position like yours? Here's your big moment. <laughs> to recruit what's yes. your elevator pitch to recruit librarians so today? I, I have um <laughs> I, I have kind of two two avenues to get them in so one there there is um there is a direction to go in working you know as a sort of corporate taxonomist or ontologist uh the the titles and job descriptions are beginning to blur more often than not uh you know there are absolutely people doing this as a consultant on their own but uh, certainly at, at Amazon, it is a huge thing. There's There are a lot of taxonomists there. Um, and I had some amazing people working for me there. Um, but although again, you know, a place like that is not gonna be everyone's cup of tea. It can be done in a lot of different organizations. That's just one that really does invest in it to, to a certain extent. And, and I think that's one way to get that kind of hands-on experience. But the other way, to kind of go directly into dam without kind of um doing more of sort of really focusing on the taxonomy side is to have that experience you may have day to day working in a library um library archives because so often people are doing digitization work or are doing that sort of descriptive work are working you know effectively with some kind of image library or something very similar but really anything where you are doing that kind of tagging and where you are doing any kind of um sort of asset processing i'll say which which could be you know it could be so many different things it could be you know doing doing sort of preservation work it could be uh even working with, with microfilm and getting it into, into something else like so much of this is either doing the work without knowing you're doing the work or mm -hmm. uh, doing something so broadly similar that it'll take you you know a hot second to learn the basics of how you work with most dams most dam systems especially since I would argue that most library specific software, most not all, is a lot harder to use and you've had to spend a lot more time learning the ins and outs and sort of figuring out workarounds than you will in a lot of dam tools. So I think you, you're actually ahead of the game if you've come if you've come at it from a librarian or archivist perspective because you've often by necessity had to teach yourself how to do all of these things and how to do the workarounds. So you have a lot of the tech skills and you have a lot of the, um, you know, obviously you already have the kind of um, accessibility thoughts and you have the tagging thoughts. So it's, it's uh, you've got the right headspace for it. You need to get that foot in the door and that's where it is tricky, but I think it's very, I don't want to say easy, but I think it is if you talk to someone like me, you know, I'm always happy to sit with someone and look at a resume or a CV and say, you've done this already. Here's how to frame this up and apply for this role so that you can start to, you know, at least get interviews, get seen for these things. And I would say, especially with DAM, there is a real, again, there, there's a real understanding that librarians are good at this and people respect that. And it's wonderful to see people uh, sort of come in from especially like a, a public library job or sort of a, you know, a sort of tiny archives job and say, oh, now I get paid money to do exactly the same thing and I don't have to starve anymore. And that's, you know, it's both upsetting and 
sort of gratifying, mm-hmm. but it's it because it is such a niche thing, it's easy to start getting into the communities, getting into the discussions because they are, you know, it is still, again, a little bit who you know, it's really kind of getting your name out there. Um, people, I, I mean, I, I think I, I was not one of the, you know, I was one of the people who was doing this, but not the only one by any means, just getting your name out there, writing your thoughts about things. A lot of people have gone directly from library school into this field by talking to people like me, sort of interviewing us and saying, oh, hey, I'm going to be looking for a job when I graduate. So there is a fair amount of networking, but it's really about being able to sort of put your thoughts together, even if they're going to be kind of, you know, again, air quotes wrong later, because you haven't had that hands-on experience, you're learning and you're saying, this is my impression of what this looks like. So I've worked with some amazing library school students, um, you know, sort of on projects or on kind of almost like oral histories and, and things like that. And it's just a question of kind of getting them into the right spaces and letting them know where these discussions are happening so they can get their names out there and then then you know that's where the again you start to get some of those doors opening a bit and along those lines joining professional associations helps with that so which ones have you joined or which ones have you gotten the most out of yeah and networking so it's, is everything oh absolutely I, I think it's 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 a funny thing in that there are uh there is now a um a taxonomist discord that has recently started up. So I would absolutely recommend students join that, even if it's very quiet right now, just, you know, get in there, kick it around and people will start to um, sort of ask ask and answer questions. But I've been in a couple of different ones. I've been in sort of Society of American, uh, Society of American Archivists. I've been in Special Libraries Association, but what I've probably found the most beneficial has just been going to the, the Henry Stewart Dam conferences. There's the big one every year is in New York. Um, and then there's there's one in London, there's usually one on the West Coast, and now there's one in Asia. Now, it's not possible for everyone to go to that conference, especially if you're in school or if you have a job that is not going to pay for you to go to conferences. Um, but you can follow along online, you can really interact with people who are, you know, whether it's on Twitter or, or LinkedIn, kind of, you can get a sense of who these people are, like, feel free to kind of cyber stalk us a little bit and get a sense of who's talking about what and then you can kind of put yourself into some of those conversations. So even if you're not able to formally join, it, it's a really um, it, it's a really good uh, space to kind of get noticed and to just kind of see what people are talking about. So I always recommend the the Henry Stewart Dam conferences. But again, there are there are things out there that are free uh, that you don't have to you know spend all the money for. If you can, it's great. It's wonderful to see people face to face. But uh, it's definitely not the only way in. If you were designing a library school course on DAM, what are some projects you would assign your students? Ooh, th- this is this is where it gets really interesting because I, I think, you know, what we had, well, certainly what I had in terms of sort of cataloging was really very much focused on books or periodicals um, or, and then sort of what I did in the archive side was certainly much more, you know, about describing individual, uh, you know, images or collections, things like that. I think, there should really be much more sort of dam focused metadata and taxonomy coursework where it's really about, um, and, and I think some of the programs out there do do a little mm-hmm. bit of this where they'll sort of say it's like sort of digital archives, again, air quotes, which which is absolutely valid, <laughs> it can be, but really understanding, I think, you know, how important it is to tag something in a way that it can be actioned elsewhere in a sort of digital ecosystem is the fundamental understanding that I think is missing. I think a lot of what happens in library school is still very much, you're tagging a thing so it can be found. It's like, yes, that is one use case. There are all these other things you might need that asset, that thing to do. Maybe it needs to, you know, get itself sent downstream in some automated way. Maybe it needs to do something else, but none of those things are going to happen 
unless it's described in a way that can, you know, be triggered within, you know, whatever tools you have, whatever ecosystem you have. So to me, seeing that sort of taxonomy and metadata approach expand from being very descriptive to being very sort of action oriented is uh, is one thing that will help get people there. Um, but but again, I think the fundamentals are really important too. Uh, again, especially for looking at the kind of taxonomy jobs you have at an Amazon or at an Indeed or at any of those big companies that are going to be another good you know foot in the door. That's really important, um, especially in thinking of how complex some of those hierarchies can be. Uh, if anyone's looked at the Amazon left nav, it is still terrifying. But uh, you know there's there's a lot of work that goes into that. But I, I think too, beyond that, it can also really help to have courseworks uh, or coursework, if you like, um, and I alluded to it a little bit earlier in that kind of, you know, UI, UX, without trying to, you know, sort of take over that field, because again, there's, there's other stuff going on there. But I think it's important to have an understanding of how those things work and how people approach these things so that you can, you know, uh, make sure that people, um, you know, can get to the things in a dam in an accessible way, or make sure that there are other routes to do this, or that things are findable uh, beyond just sort of the, the most basic tagging. It's, it's you want to make sure that you can also give more valuable feedback, uh, whether that's to a vendor or to a customer to say, hey, this could be a better experience, and let's think about how to do that. So I think that's another thing to be really great to see in, um, <clears throat> excuse me, in the, uh, in the library school curriculum is being a little more I would say upfront that digital is where there are jobs and let's, you know, let's just kind of own that and go with it. Mm -hmm. There are so many things we can do with our skills that we Absolutely. don't even realize. And that's one yeah. of them. Although it seems obvious, it also seems yeah. like not the same as what we do. Absolutely. And I think that the, there's another piece there too, in terms of uh, sort of like technical writing, but any kind of, you know, working with XML sort of structured text, things like that you know, that's a hugely valuable skill. And most people don't have that skill, even if they've come through a, a sort of tech writing or other um, you know, kind of other certificate route, but it's, it's really important. And I think you do get exposed to it in library school, but it may be just kind of something you do once. Uh, but I think mm -hmm. it's really helpful to build it out. But I, I think too, just having more of, I know we talked about it a little sort of the, the strategic elements too, like how do you deal with that budget? How do you, you, you know, sort of plan, you know, a staffing plan? How do you uh, own a roadmap for a product? I mean, these are all things that you you learn on the job, really. And I think especially that the piece about a product roadmap is something that if I had been taught that, it would have been great. And I know, you know, you'll hear the argument, oh, well, they do that in B-School or whatever. I've never worked with anyone who's come out of like a B-School program who did it better. Again, air quotes, it's really about getting used to kind of managing expectations and understanding what that roadmap can look like and how you're going to communicate that to your uh, your stakeholders, whether those are internal people or external. But again, it, it's this kind of thing that, you know, librarians have this skill set. They just need to know that that's what they're doing oftentimes, um, you know, whether that's uh, sort of preparing, um, like when you're preparing for an exhibition or something like that, a lot of that kind of thing is part and parcel. I mean, so much of that work is there, but how can you kind of bring that to the forefront and, and let people know that that's, you know, that you understand how to do this and you've probably been doing it and getting paid a fraction of what you should have been for it. And that's, that's always my soapbox is these skills are so transferable and you don't even have to, you know, make a change. It's just a change to your title and you can just make so much more money by doing the same thing in a different field. You came to the right place for a soapbox. <laughs> that is also mine. <laughs> Um, so why did you go to library school? And based on your career so far, does that reasoning still hold? Oh, it's it, it's a funny thing. So I 
I went to library school because I was getting a little burnt out with where I was in tech at that point. And, and it's a funny thing because it had started changing when I was first in tech, and this is a longish time ago now, it was much more sort of, um, it was actually more diverse back then. It became less diverse as I went on for, um, it, once I hit that sort of 10-ish year mark and I got very burnt out and I was, decided I wanted to work with, again, more air quotes, old things again, because I missed, you know, sort of working with the things I'd worked with as an archeologist. And so that's why I went into rare books and special collections, archives. Um, and again, what I didn't know though was going in that direction was what set me up for a career in DAM because so much of what I was doing was this kind of, um, you know, sort of digitization work, you know, creating um, effectively online exhibitions, things like that. That's what we would call a brand portal now. And that is, a, you know, a huge part of um, what happens, you know, on, on the corporate side, it's 100% the same thing. So the, the real irony is I went from, you know, working with, you know, old stuff to working with shiny new bleeding edge things. Uh, so the original sort of rationale didn't quite hold, but, I would say, you know, again, what I learned was so important to make that that sort of next transition back once I decided I was sick of getting underpaid in archives and libraries, even though I love the people I worked with, I love the collections, uh, you know, at a certain point, it's it's hard to pay rent and get your kids to school and uh, all of that mm -hmm. kind of thing. So, and, and I think the other thing too, is just the, um, you know, again, same skill set, but the opportunities I've had by just, you know, doing these things in a different field have been just, you know, ridiculous. Um, you know, I've, I've been, you know, moved all over the place for it. I'm, you know, luckily, lucky enough to uh, have been moved to Ireland now, where, where I live now. I work for a Danish company. I get to do all this travel, you know, knock on wood, travel again, and we won't get sick and all, all of that good stuff. But I would never have had those opportunities as, you know, doing 100% the same thing working in a, a library or, uh, or, or even, um, you know, an amazing archives, which is not to say there are not great jobs in those places if you find them, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. there just aren't enough of them, I think, to sustain, you know, the, the, the number of people schools are turning out, certainly, and, and really smart people with great, you know, great backgrounds, great skills, great interests, and I'd love to see those people finding their way over here so that they can, you know, be properly rewarded for all that work that went into doing that graduate degree and uh, say, hey, you know, there's a life over here for you and it can be a lot more um a lot more kind of open so i've reached out to all of the ala accredited library schools with a little blurb about my podcast with yeah that you know there's these are some other ideas that students can do with their skills because you know full-time good full-time you know well-paying jobs out of library school are hard to come by in, in most places Absolutely. in this country so there's yeah. so many other things we don't have to work in an official library to use our skills yeah, absolutely. And I think that's so important for people to know that they have other options and they don't have to be sort of uh, tied to the idea of, you know, the library or sort mm -hmm. of the academy or, or any of those things. Um, and I do, you know, I have worked with a lot of people in the, in the DAM field who have gotten here through working in a, in a corporate library and it evolved or working in a law library and it evolved. So if, if you're lucky enough to be in a place that kind of supported you in that, you know, almost transition, you know, career-wise, that's great, but that's the more the exception, I think, to the rule. I think there's a little mm -hmm. more, uh, you have to be a little more proactive and, and sort of hammer on the door. People want you to come in, but you have to kind of make yourself known as well. So it's a bit of a, mm -hmm. it's a bit of a two-way street, but I, I will say it is so difficult to find people who have these skills. I know they're out there, but just getting them over to, you know, understand that they could be doing an amazing job in 
say like a, a dam customer service position as maybe their first role or a dam librarian as their first role in this field. There are a lot of different ways you could get that foot in the door, but it's a question of um, you know, helping your higher ups that they understand already on, on the dam side if it's a vendor or if it's, um, for example, um, a consultancy that works in this space. But a lot of the companies who need to hire people to run these app, you know, app on their sites don't know that's what they need to look for. So unless they have someone telling them uh, that that's where it sort of falls down. Once you've got one person in, then it's a sort of virtuous circle, but it's, uh, yeah, they got to get in there first. So after listening to this podcast, I don't see how they cannot try to get into them. <laughs> you have those skills. I, I, I'm You're always happy to help people out. <laughs> I, I, I really would love to see more people coming into this field. We have a lot of fun. Uh, again, it is very niche, so you get to know, you can at least know everyone by name to, to a certain extent. Uh, um, but again, I'd, I'd love to see it get big enough that I don't always have to have that. Um, and, and it is really hard to fill these positions. I'm going to say it again. That's always going to be my, my other soapboxes. I know, I know y'all are out there, but, you know, come make yourself known. And, you know, we can, uh, we can start to sort of match people up and get that, that foot in the door. What, what does not exist, and I think should exist, is there's not really like a recruitment agency or anything like that, that really, you know, does that sort of matchmaking. I know there are a couple of people who do it as a kind of sideline, but um, I, I think that is one, one thing that the field could really use is, is a sort of dedicated uh, headhunter, I feel like, that understands what these roles are and what the skill set is, because they would 100% be going back out to library schools and say, hey, these are the skills we need. Let's get this pipeline going. Well, there's a business idea for someone. Someone, yes, absolutely. Not me, but someone. <laughs> Somebody, not us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so tell us about Beer Ladies podcast. So we uh, we had a, a little, you know, brainwave uh, during our first lockdown here in Ireland. I, I think probably everyone started a podcast at some point over lockdown. So I, I don't know, but uh, I resemble you know. that remark. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I started my new so. during lockdown. There you go. Exactly. So uh, there are six-ish of us who, who rotate around uh, on, with hosting duties. We usually have three to four of us on each episode, uh, plus a guest. So we're a group of beer-loving ladies, mostly based in Ireland. We've had one person who had to move back to Texas, but we still get her on to, to host. Uh, and we really try to focus on women in the beer industry uh, who don't, aren't necessarily brewers. We want people who work in every part of the, of the industry, but we're a very sort of global bunch. We have a couple North Americans like myself. We have a South African. We have a lot of Irish ladies, and we just love to get out there, talk to people about beer, talk about the brewing process. So we, we kind of consider ourselves, you know, Irish-based, and we, we like to focus on the local, uh, the local breweries, but we want to have a global uh, kind of mandate, if you like. So we have been fortunate enough to interview people from uh, from breweries in Rwanda, from beer companies in Pittsburgh, like just all over the place. So we are really, really lucky to get to talk to some fascinating people and uh, we enjoy a few beers while we're, uh, while we're at it. So that's the other, uh, <laughs> that's the other bonus. So it, we're weekly, uh, we do take a couple breaks a year, but uh, we, uh, we've, been, we've been busy and we, uh, we love doing it. It's a great time. And uh, Every now and then someone sort of shouts us out and says, hey, I listened to that. And we're like, oh, thank you. So it's a lot of fun. It's it's um, at Beer Ladies Pod on most of the socials. We're, we're on Acast uh, in terms of where to find us, but we're on you know all the usual pod catchers. And uh, we talk a lot about beer history. We talk a lot about beer styles. And uh, again, we try to have 
a sort of, uh, you know, women first lens on it, but we do talk to men. We've had some on, so uh, they, they are more than welcome. We just have to find the right guys to come on and chat with. Hopefully we will have a couple more coming up. We always do a Eurovision episode every year, so that's going to be a, a fun one for anyone who's interested in that. But we just try to mix beer and culture and uh, hopefully have a lot of fun doing it. I will also put a link to that in the show notes so oh, people thank can you. find it. Well, this has been really great. Very informative. Thank you. So oh, much. thank you very much. And, and again, my, my door is always open. If anyone wants to know how to get into this field or wants some, some introductions to people, I'm, I'm more than happy to get people set up with uh, sort of casual, um, you know, sort of casual connections or to get a kind of day in the life. Uh, always happy to help. Wow. That's very generous of you. Thank you very much. Thank you to Anytime. Lisa Grimm for being my guest today on the Librarian Linkover. Thank you to my listeners for following liking and sharing my podcast. I love hearing from listeners who tell me how useful they find the content that my guests and I are creating. Thank you so much for listening.